Welcome to the Lentil Intervention Podcast, talking all things movement, whole food nutrition and environmental wellness with your hosts, Ben and Emma. Hello everybody and welcome to a special episode, episode number 22, uh, the topic of fueling endurance athletes. Uh, my name is Ben Adelberg, coming to you from Auckland as always, and of course Emma Strutt in Boona. Hello Emma. Hello Ben, how are you going? Very good, very excited and a little bit nervous because uh, it's about high time we finally had a focus on movement um, with everything being on environment and nutrition. So yeah, we thought I f- we'd share the love a little bit. Yeah, the other topic so I feel that's a little bit so far. <laughs> going a little bit from the hunter to the hunted. <laughs> so um, yeah, and we've um, managed to invite a guest on the show as well to join us for this conversation. Um, we yeah. have. So originally it was going to be an express episode, but I think it'll probably run a little bit longer than that. So it'll be a, a mixed bag kind of in between what we usually do. Um, but our guest is Jaden Ordner. Um, I'll let him do his introduction, actually, because he's got a really fascinating backstory. But long story short, he's currently studying dietetics and he's an avid trail runner with a really strong sporting background. So I think between all three of us, we've got a nice little mix of skills and experience. So this should be a a good discussion. So, Jaden, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. So um, I know via emails, your backstory is just absolutely fascinating. So maybe let's start with that just so the listeners can um, get to know you a little bit better. Yeah, sure thing. So uh, as you mentioned, I'm a long distance trail runner. I'm currently a nutrition science student uh, on a dietetics pathway. So interestingly, um, before that, I'd, I'd studied philosophy and I've been working in technology and, and performing arts before that. So I guess in a recreational sense, the, the better part of my adolescence was spent, yeah, in these uh, development squads for AFL football, Australian rules football. And that was from around age 13, 14 until, until I was about 17 and 18. So that was my goal as a teenager was to, to play football. And injury kind of found my way out of that and wasn't until a couple of years later I discovered the outdoors through hiking across the Americas and the Middle East, Scandinavia, up to Everest Base Camp in Nepal as well. And very slowly, a transition occurred where I, I found running again. And yeah, I guess when you start running, you start pushing for greater distances. And inevitably, I had to start thinking a bit more about my nutrition along the way. And now I'm studying it. So it's been a, an entirely unpredictable pathway for me. I never thought I'd study science. I didn't study it beyond year nine or 10 in school. And now I run half marathons for fun, as, as Ben can probably appreciate. <laughs> and, I wish um, it was just half marathons. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's the addictive part of it, right? So mm. it's, um, it's sort of perfectly characteristic of, you know, the unpredictability of life. So here I am talking to you guys today. Brilliant. And you've transitioned to a whole food plant-based diet as well. So what's the backstory there? Um, I think running was definitely a catalyst, but initially it was a very sort of self-centered driving horse force behind switching. But I think in hindsight, it was more so a combination of some important experiences that I've had. Uh, One of which unfortunately was uh, on two separate occasions, having a, a lung collapse spontaneously. And I just, I remember the terror of sitting in the hospital bed, waiting for my x-ray results to come back in a moment where I just was not sure what was happening to me. And that really stuck with me. And interestingly, though, it wasn't enough to get me to make any sort of serious changes to my lifestyle. Um, I was just told that it was, you know, luck of the draw as a tall, thin, fit guy. We're sort of predisposed to a greater risk of having a pneumothorax, as they call it. But, yeah, I was eating a a super standard uh, sort of meat-heavy kind of regular guy diet. Um, And then after that, I did challenge myself to make it to Everest Base Camp in Nepal, where I was, I guess I was inadvertently vegan for three weeks. Um, That advised us to kind of avoid the animal products because the only way those products get up the mountain is by Sherpas carrying them often on their backs for a couple of days and they're not kept as you would want. So uh, instead I was eating lentils and grains, rices, traditional kind of Nepali 
foods and it was quite a holistic um, experience because I was drinking a lot of water. I was, you know, sleeping. I was out in nature and, and eating sort of more diverse foods than I, I ever had. But I think ultimately the juicy kind of part of this is from an intellectual point of view, I started dating someone who ate differently to me. <laughs> and that really forced me to swallow my pride um, because I, I definitely realized I didn't really have any good sources for what I was saying about nutrition or the environment. And, you know, c coming from a background in philosophy, like I, I do like to believe as many true things as, as possible and as few false things as I can. And I like to have a, a confidence that's kind of proportional to the evidence that we have available. So um, it was a really humbling experience to start asking questions to myself about why I thought what I thought. And yeah, I, I ended up realizing I didn't have that good a reason to what I was saying. So I did start a, a transition that took about six to eight months. Um, and I really enjoyed exploring that more as I've entered into a sort of formal academic sense with this. Yeah. And I know that can be quite confronting coming from your background of um, sports in your younger years. I know in a previous lifetime, way back when I was a competitive swimmer, like medaled at national, so reasonably high level. And I remember, you know, it was shoved down your throat. You've got to get your protein and you can't get your protein. Like it's got to be from an animal based source. You've got to get your calcium from dairy. Like that's kind of drilled into you. And if that's at a young age, that's... Um, quite confronting to shed, I suppose, when you're given this new information. Absolutely, it was. It's, it feels like a part of your core identity is, is challenged. Absolutely. And, you know, you still find that this, those same protocols are still being um, delivered. Um, you know, having sort of sat in, in um, presentations in some of the high performance, uh, I guess, sports like triathlon and cycling especially, it's still the same mantra, you know. What's the best recovery? Chocolate milk, you know. Yeah. Because um, you got your calcium, and it's, and when they talk about uh, female athletes, especially in the teenage years, ah, oh, calcium from milk, you know, that's that's the important source. So that's still the case, except I think with this um, amazing amount of information that is more and more available, um, and podcasts like ourselves that talk about it. Um, Younger athletes are now starting to question that and they are starting to see a shift. But, you know, Emma, like you say, when you're in that environment, unless you, there's others with you, it gets it's very challenging. Yeah, so um, we thought we might run through the benefits of plant-based eating for endurance athletes today, given who we've got to talk to. Um, now, Ben, I know this is well and truly your space and you coach a lot of people in this area and you present on it regularly. So this will yeah. be your baby. Um, so you've put together a little bit of a, um, a list for us to run through here. So we might just dive right in if everyone's okay with that. Sure. Yeah. So to our listeners, um, many of you will know that, yeah, as Emma said, I do present on this. So I will try and not go into automated mode. Um, we do want to turn this into a bit more of a discussion point. So hopefully everyone else will jump in. So look, I mean, one of the key things to note is that, um, and Jade and I have spoken about this a little bit before, and we're going to talk about this on the show, is that, um, you know, this is a very big overview. It's a very generic sort of, um, I guess, thoughts. There's science behind a lot of what we're going to say and present, but there isn't one size fits all. And I think that's what's important is you've got to take this information and you've got to decipher it for yourself. And I can tell you now, just two weekends ago, I completed my last, um, not my last forever, as in the last one I've just done, uh, was two weeks ago, 100 kilometer ultra um, marathon. And um, again, you know, I came out of, I went into it thinking, I've got my nutrition plan sorted now. It's worked perfectly in all my long training sessions. And yet I come out of an event thinking, mm, not so sure anymore. So it's all about learning and it's all about taking it on. However, let's kick straight into this little list because this holds true. So point number one, why a plant-based approach is, is really beneficial for athletes. And in particular, we are going to talk about more about endurance-based athletes, um, leaner body mass. And that's something that, you know, it's a very fine line that we, we, we need to manage in the, in, the, in the world of sport because there are eating disorders that come out of it on the one end of the spectrum when we become so obsessed about it. But of course, you know, we do want to be a little bit leaner than not. So uh, plant-based 
eaters tend to be a lot leaner than non-plant-based eaters. It's easier uh, to lose the weight and keep it off. Um, and that a lot of that can also come down to the fact that uh, due to the thermic effect of food um, is being increased on a low-fat plant-based diet. So uh, increase in energy expenditure following a meal. There's low rates of endotoxins, which slow down metabolism. And hence we get what we call the athletic boon. So athletes tend to be leaner. And I just wanted to, to jump in really quickly there because a lot of people think, oh, weak, skinny vegans, if you're losing weight, you're actually losing muscle mass. Um, but that's not necessarily the case. Um, and there was a really interesting study um, published just this year, actually. It was a small sample size, so we've got to take that into account. Um, but long story short, um, it suggested that a vegan diet was definitely not detrimental to endurance and muscle strength at all. In fact, the submaximal endurance actually offered a little bit of benefit for the vegans so the weak skinny vegan um myth mm. you can well and truly get rid of that one 100 <laughs> percent. and actually there's there's um you know in my presentations i actually show a lot of um i guess titles or excerpts from a lot of papers that say a similar thing and it's something i really want to say here is i don't necessarily say that a plant-based diet is better but it's certainly is not worse and that's the not key yep. thing absolutely sure. and and that's what a lot of the research shows some research do show more favorable results but you know in terms of cycling time trials or ultra endurance runners and there's a lot of those sports that they research specifically but it certainly never is to the detriment so if anything yeah. you're at the same level and what's the benefit on top of that is the health aspect so we'll touch on that a little bit later point number two um, this is key, increased glycogen storage. Now, a whole food plant-based diet is a high-carb diet. So it's not a low-carb, high-fat, or high-protein. It is a high-carbohydrate diet. So by default, we're increasing our glycogen storage. Glycogen is our primary source of energy. That is, you can't debate that. It's what your body fuels off. And a clue is what your body stores. Does it, you know, it stores um, carbohydrates as 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 glycogen. So, if if it stores it, it's important, and it's what we need. Um, and in terms of, uh, I'm just scanning through my notes here. Um, one of the studies certainly is carbohydrate restriction has been scarcely studied in relation to ultramarathon training. So, a lot of these endurance athletes that's you know want to take the low carb, high fat approach. There's very little study to support that. Yeah, I think there was. Um... I read a couple of weeks ago a study that took athletes who were participating in full and half Ironmans and, and even some of like the winter triathlons and things like that. Mm. And interestingly, they only found that roughly 46, it was like 45, 46% of these athletes were meeting the recommended carbohydrate intake mm. for how much they were training. Um, so I think with, with a whole foods plant-based diet, by virtue of you not putting, say, a slab of steak on the plate. Um, <laughs> you are going for, you know, a greater variety of carbohydrate-rich foods, which, you know, just through doing that tends to facilitate, yeah, increased sort of glycogen storage, which mm. yeah, there's a lot of opportunity there for people to, to still get this right. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, training without adequate carbs is basically – carbs, sorry – is basically training to go slow, right? So – more carbohydrates beforehand equates to being able to perform longer and you know harder in your sessions, which is obviously beneficial for an athlete that's in training. And to um, recover as well. That's the other yeah, key component. Exactly. You know, training is not about smashing yourself. Training is about uh, conditioning yourself, but you want to improve the recovery so you can do it again. Um, not a week later, but the next day or even twice a day as a lot of um, sort of high-performing athletes train you know sometimes two even three times a day so 100 percent. one of the papers here that do reference talks about five to 12 grams per kg body weight per day needed to replenish glycogen stores and on a, a typical 70 kg athlete you need between 350 and 840 grams per day and most athletes don't even achieve this so jayna like you say if you're a meat eater you're even less likely to achieve that so 100% key message there, eat your carbs. It's good stuff. And I think just important on that, we're talking about non-refined or minimally refined, non-processed. So brown rice as opposed to white rice. Your potatoes, your kumras are great. If you're having pasta, go for your whole wheat pasta as opposed to your refined semolina, wheat and so on. So go for the good quality carb sources. 
Um, another important one, improved blood viscosity. Now, there's a caveat here. A whole food plant-based diet, which is what we're talking about, not necessarily a vegan diet, but a whole food plant-based diet means very little to no oil. And that's important because with no oil, you're decreasing the viscosity, which means the blood flows a lot better. Um, and you're even increasing viscosity. Uh, Ah, oh, I can't say the word. <laughs> Basically, the widening of the blood vessels. So you're improving blood flow, and that's key. Um, and as athletes, you want to be able to transport oxygen as, as efficiently as you can to your working muscles, um, etc. So minimal oil or no oil at all. Um, we are realistic, and we'll, we'll cover that a little bit later on as well in terms of some of the food choices or sources of supplementation that athletes typically take. But yeah, try and minimize that. Um, next one, nitrate-rich diet. So we're talking about eating lots of leafy green vegetables. Yes, beetroot is known for um, being a good source of nitrates, but actually leafy green vegetables are even better. So um, uh, spinach has an even higher rate of, of nitrates to, to beetroot. So eat your leafy greens. Um, and again, what does that do? It helps to relax and dilate the blood vessels, which turns them into super highways. So again, you want your blood to flow as smoothly and as quickly and as efficiently because it's carrying nutrients, it's carrying oxygen to your muscles. And that's what we want. I think there's been, um, I know I've certainly tried um, specific foods for this. There's been some research around um, pomegranate juice as well. I've been mm-hmm. seeing these yes. last sort of couple of weeks. But yeah. I think like you can spend a lot of time thinking about is there a specific one food that I should take? But I think as you're sort of explaining, the benefits tend to come from the the wider pattern that you're going for. Yeah. But there was a, a paper that took, it was like 20 different athletes and they they ran them to exhaustion over three different efforts on a treadmill after they'd had, it was a, a randomized like uh, crossover placebo trial. So they had pomegranate juice for one and a placebo for the other. And like consistently they would find that yeah, augmented blood flow, the, the vessel diameter was a little bit larger and you know, some of the stuff we learn is like even small changes in such a, a tiny vessel can mean quite a big difference for how, how well blood flows. Mm. So it's, um yeah, it's definitely a, a benefit I didn't come across until I looked a little bit deeper into yeah. it. But yeah. I do love my pomegranate seeds. <laughs> I think that's a really important point you've made. Like don't major in the minors. It's more about the big picture. But yeah. like there is a time and a place for these little time. Like if you're in an elite athlete that little tiny thing can make all the difference so yeah if you want to do that kind of thing there is a there is a place for it i would say (laughs) you know it's it's like the concept of carbo loading um you know you can eat rubbish for when it however long you want but then the night before you'll get the carbs in because hey these speakers on this uh, podcast said eat your carbs (laughs) it's not it's about your general lifestyle or what you eat so it's the same thing by increasing your intake of night rate nitrate-rich vegetables over your general diet, that's where you're going to get the maximum benefits. However, there are papers that do show that if you consume, I'm trying to think, I think it was 90 minutes. If you consume it 90 minutes before the start of an event, it then peaks, I think, an, an, an hour yeah. or two into it. So, Yeah, you know, usually take it about two to three hours beforehand, I think. Yeah. I've read in, like, the, yeah, and that's like if you're taking concentrated sources like the beet, um, shots or the um, right, yeah. Uh, next point, uh, got to scroll down here. Reduced inflammation. I think that's a real key one when a lot of athletes, and I know myself as well, you know, and you transition to a whole food plant based diet, one of the key things are we recover better. Now, why do we recover better? I think it's a two prong approach, but one of the key things is we're increasing the amount of good foods that are rich in antioxidants, rich in anti-inflammatory properties. Um, And there are studies that show that long-term vegetarians have a better antioxidant status and coronary heart disease risk profile than do apparently healthy omnivores. Vegetarians have higher antioxidant status for vitamin C, vitamin E, beta carotene, etc. Because we're replacing foods that can be inflammatory causing and we're increasing the good stuff. So I think that's a... You know, it's about reducing the amount of oxidative stress in the body. We're causing that through training, so we're countering that with good food. Yeah, I think this is this one's really close to my heart. Um, 
I mean, I don't know, Ben. What did you eat after your hundred um, k race? Did you did you celebrate with something, or did you have a, a nice whole foods bowl? <laughs> no, you don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> Packet of chips. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. Look, I mean, when you finish in, at night and you're just over it. Um, no, but look from from a training point of view, um, when I'm peaking with my training and, and my long runs are five, six, seven hours. Um, super key. I'm the first thing I'm reaching for, and I always advise this: is before you get home or you have the chance to actually eat something properly, fruit. Fruit's the greatest thing. Um, it's refreshing. It's, uh, it's 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 full of fluid, so you're getting some 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 fluids back in you. Um, plus, you're getting all the good vitamin C and all the other antioxidants and so on. So, you know, definitely guess, reaching um, for fruit. <laughs> why I asked is, yeah. I, I think for me, if you're if you're an athlete or you're just a recreational runner doing an event every couple of months, right? The, mm. the races are really few and far between. So if you're finishing a race and you're going out and you're getting some kind of nice, I deserve this meal. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. But I think a, a profound change for me was thinking a bit more seriously about what the most of the time looked like with my recovery after a, a long run on a Sunday. Um, a lot of people would would go out for brunch and me i would i would be recovering with bacon and cheese and eggs and butter and things that were really for the most part in contrast to what my goals were for recovery and performance and and i think modifying that away from you know i, I really i deserve this i've burnt all these calories i can just throw whatever else back in and, and it's going to be fine but mm. yeah if you are choosing um something like a Fruits and vegetables rich. I'm, I'm a sucker. And we can get into this a little bit later, I guess, yeah. for my big bowl of oats and my athlete's bowl concept that I like. But um, I just think it's super important for people to consider what their most of the time looks like for their recovery during their training. And yeah. the benefits of a whole food plant-based diet are really yeah. pronounced in this space. Look, I'll tell you what my big shift was, and that was um, I used to be a proponent for it, was protein shakes. So as soon as you get yeah. home, um, you know, a, a big scoop of whey protein um, with milk, um, you know, so you're, you're maximizing the, the, the protein because that's what you need for recovery. And that's what was that was the first thing I'd have. And I've gone from that to, to be fair, you know, long run, I'm having breakfast at two, three in the, in the afternoon, but I'm having a bowl of oats with the berries and, and all the other good stuff. And then, and, you know, we'll touch on that again, but yeah, there's definitely a mind shift. But look, big races, you're right. I mean, you know, I'll go out for a cheeky vegan burger that's still saturated in fat <laughs> and all that bad stuff. But I guess you've got to be realistic and you've got to have the rewards as well because, you know, especially when you're out there for the super long events, mentally you've got to give yourself that reward as well. But understanding Absolutely. the impact um, is important and certainly not every weekend and say, oh, well, I deserve that after an hour effort, so I'm going to go have <laughs> a bad meal. No, I think that, you know, you've got to think bigger picture and more long-term. So there's a balance. I'm interested to know, um, you boys, if you've experienced any difference in DOMS and, like, the severity severity of it since you've kind of made the dietary shifts. I can see Ben nodding there as well. <laughs> 100%. 100%. And I was talking to my physio about this last night is, you know, if, when I used to race half marathons, um, two days later I'd struggle to walk downstairs, you know, like, ouch, 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 I'm stiff, I'm sore, it's DOMS, it's normal, it's fine. I, I, I run a 100k event, I'm out there for hours, the next day, sure, there's a bit of inflammation, sure my feet are sore, but I'm fine, I'm walking. Two, three days later, I'm fine. I mean, I'm not running again, because obviously I could let the body heal, but 100%, the recovery is, look, long runs, long training runs on a Saturday, typically depends on the terrain, whether it's for time, five, six hours, or I'm trying to cover distance between 40 and 50 Ks on a typical long run on a Saturday. Um, Sunday morning, I'm doing a what we call a recovery run, uh, but I'm out running again and I'm fine. So 100%. Yeah, look, my, my testimony is, is much the same. Um, I, I remember leading up to my marathon last year, I was sort of starting to push out 25, 28, 35-ish Ks on, on the trails and just... Being able to wake up the next morning and, and feel like it was it was okay to do a 5K recovery jog or, you know, get back into it. Um, that was something that really kind of annoyed me about my first attempts at half marathon distance was I would do this 21 kilometers and I'd just be kind of butchered for the next couple of days until I could recover again. So absolutely, yes. 
Yeah. And I think that's important to note because like your session's not fully complete until you've actually recovered. So the improved recovery time. The recovery is oh. the important part. Yeah. yeah. It's the important part for sure. Yeah. Um, and that, look, this leads on to the next point, which um, is, is super important because for the most of us, and I'm included, Jade and you as well, we're not professional athletes. We're doing this for lifestyle choice um, and it's longevity. And what does longevity mean? Um, improved health. And, you know, a, a plant-based approach, you know, I, I, maybe I need to stop saying this as a joke and tongue-in-cheek and so on, but I always tell people, if you want results, go take drugs, you know, and, and, you'll, and you'll, get, <laughs> you'll get immediate results and you can smash records, but we know that has adverse effects to your health. It's one of the reasons why drugs are banned, right? Um, go on a keto diet. Go on other diets that, yes, they can give you improved results to some degree, but again, what is it doing to your long-term health? And there's now a lot of science that's showing it's not so great. Now, for us as a lifestyle, especially if we're investing time, money, some of us are getting coaches, we're, we're paying big money to travel to big, amazing events and so on. You're not doing this for the next two years. You, this is a lifestyle. So if you're looking after your health, you can do this into your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and be those legends that are turning up um, you know, four times the age of some other competitors and still doing what you love the most. And that is, I think, one of the most important messages is we're doing this for our health. We're exercising for our health. Why aren't we eating for our health? And it goes hand in hand. And if, and if you've got, you can't get performance if your health is not at its peak. That's super key, right? So if you're in top health, you've got a better chance of getting a result you want, whether it's just finishing or stretching yourself, pushing yourself. But yeah, that that's super important. I can't I can't stress that enough. Yeah, I mean, there's a one of my favorite papers uh, I had to write about a, a condition called familial hypercholesterolemia um, <clears throat> this year for uni. And Neil Barnard has a paper from 2019 where he pretty much goes through everything that we're talking about. Um, it's, it's titled something like plant-based um, diets for endurance sports or something along those lines, and I guess what what I take out of those those types of papers is yes, it's it's incredible for what you just mentioned, Ben, about performance. But you know, in Australia, like it's it's very likely for a male to end up with a cardiovascular condition, and I definitely started thinking about what if the foods that I'm putting in to prepare and recover, sure they might be getting me through this next 5k little race that i have but what does it mean for 15 years from now mm. you know i have a history of cardiovascular disease on my on my dad's side my grandpa had a, a triple bypass and it's like what what about me like i can't just be victim to this without changing anything in my lifestyle um and things like the the blue zones i don't know if you guys have spoken mm. about them on this show before it's like you, you look at the patterns of these people who, and people can get into specifics about mechanisms and, and what it all means, but generally speaking, the patterns of the people who live the longest without these afflictions that affect people like my grandpa um, is, is generally a super plant-predominant pattern. And it's, it's really important to, we're always not very good at thinking super long-term about this stuff. Yeah. But, it's these types of conversations that can help someone. And this is probably something I wish I heard um, a few years back, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In my talks, I always make reference to a study, which I cannot find. We'll never be able to find, but I know it happened. <laughs> and I remember reading about this a long time ago, but it was one of these kind of surveys that was done across multiple sports, elite, elite sports, men and women. And they were asked one simple question and said, if you could take a pill, that made you the best, the world champion, Olympic champion, record holder, achieve everything you want over the next year, and then you die. Would you take it? And overwhelmingly, the majority, if not all of them, said, yep, yeah, I would. You know, that obsession about achieving. And it's exactly your point there, Jaden. It's, it's, we don't think long-term. We think about our successes now, short-term successes. What can I achieve now? How can I be the best now? But who, I'm not thinking about five years' time. I'm not thinking about the impact down there. And, and that's a message we've got to change. So, you know, and, and we've had some wonderful guests on the show already, um, you know, especially health professionals that have overcome some phenomenal health issues. And 
there's a common trend. Oh, I'm now running half marathons and I've got energy to do this and that and there's a message in that. So yeah, 100%. Health aspect, I think, is, is first and foremost. Change your eating for that. You've got more energy um, to do what you never thought you could. And the last point I want to touch on, it's it's indirect, but it's super key, especially for athletes like ourselves, whether you, you hike, you walk, you run, but our playground, the environment, um, that's something we can no longer just simply ignore or take for granted and say, you know, I'm going to pay my money, I'm going to enter this event, it's in some beautiful mountain or bush or whatever, but those are at risk now as well, and we know that there's a lot of factors that contribute to that. We've had some fantastic guests on the show that spoke about it, um, you know, from deforestation in Queensland to the state of our waters in, in, in New Zealand. Uh, you know, roughly 70% of our rivers in New Zealand are, are polluted. 40% of our lakes are polluted. Our oceans are not doing great. This is where we play. This is where we swim, triathlons and, you know, running through bush, seeing litter more and more, seeing the effects of runoff from farms so diet choice plays a role in that and um, I think it was just general awareness of other factors that contribute to what we take for granted. So as athletes, I think it's time that we start becoming a little bit more conscious and take a bit more accountability for the environment that we, we use and you know I, I love your passion on this Emma as well with the, the things that you post on Instagram it's um can always sort of feel your energy coming through in what you have to say about this stuff thanks my sister had a go at me the other day she said I wouldn't even know you're a dietitian you're always posting about the environment well look a, a background story it's one of the reasons why we started this podcast it's um you know to bring a lot of our passions that well between the two of us we're not experts in this area but we've had some fantastic phenomenal guests enlighten even us and change a lot of our views and, and made us realize and, and we know we have a lot of our listeners so it's something that you know we certainly want to push more of and as athletes i think we're on the front line because we're in there we're in that bush we're in the forests we're on the you know the big plains the trails the coasts um there's a lot we can do um yeah so that's something i always throw in um and that's effectively my list to start with so so we should probably tackle some myths, though, because I know a lot mm. of the clients that I deal with, if they're not already plant-based but want to go that way, if they are an athlete, there is a little bit of apprehension there. Um, so I'm going to throw it back to you guys first before I give my two cents. What what were some of the biggest um, myths and misconceptions that you had before you kind of made the switch? Oh, jeez. I mean, I hate to do it, but, yeah, protein. Yeah. <laughs> as, as someone who lives on, on this type of lifestyle, it's – it's, it's a laughable thing that you joke about sometimes with the, the volume of people who ask about your protein. But again, back to sort of what I said in the beginning, like I, I had no idea what I was talking about with protein before any of this. And I just super blindsided by this you know, predisposed cultural idea mm. that it had to come from meat. But again, the, the theme with a whole foods plant-based diet is, is diversity. And once you learn a little bit more about amino acids and what plants have in them um it's just not a it's not a concern really at all i mean i briefly spoke to ben the other day about um when i first transitioned using an app called chronometer just yeah. to sort of give myself an idea i don't track my food or calories and then intake but when i transitioned i just wanted to be sure of you know what is what does a good day look like what does an okay day look like and yeah geez on the days of my long runs the volume of protein you can get without really putting too much effort in is is pretty remarkable and it's very easily done to hit more yeah. than you need mm. yeah absolutely and i mean that that's the thing you as an endurance athlete you probably do need a little bit more than just the average joe blow off the street um but the fact that you're exercising means that you're going to have a greater hunger which means you're going to be taking in more food. So, yeah, it basically does take care of itself for most people. And it's just about that awareness of knowing what food sources um, are good for protein. You can't just take the meat off the plate and not replace it with anything. But once someone has that basic understanding, um, it's pretty easy to hit those requirements. Well, let me let me throw some figures here because it's always top of my head and I know these backwards now. But uh, your typical protein requirement, non-athlete, typical uh, average person so let's say 70 kg person you need 
point oh never mind the weight but according to national academy of sciences institute of medicine 0.8 grams per kg of body weight per day is the recommended daily allowance yep. for men and women right so for a 70 kg person that equates to 56 grams 56 Not grams. Much. that's it right um now let's just take a step back a typical plate a whole food plant-based meal it's typically around, I mean, these are loose figures, 70, 80% carbs, 10, 15% protein, 10 to 15% fat. You know, there and thereabouts, depending how many nuts you're throwing in or <laughs> avocado <laughs> and, and so on. So, but that's that's roughly the split. Now, according to the American Dietetic Association, I know there's some varying figures around this, but I usually work off for endurance and strength trained athletes, 1.2 to 1.7 grams per kg body weight per day. So that same 70 kg athlete from 56 grams which is just your typical average person they now need between 84 to 119 grams again let's go to the top end let's go extreme 119 grams it's nothing now when we talk about calories something i also don't pay too much attention but it's nice to use as a gauge sometimes if we're going the low end 1.2 grams and you're following a low end two and a half thousand calorie per day. Now that is not a endurance trained athlete. You should be eating more than no. two and a half thousand calories. But that's probably your typical male at 70 kgs. Even that increased amount of protein, 84 grams, that equates to 13.4% of your calories. Now remember, 10 to 15% is your protein, your average protein intake off a typical meal. So you're already hitting that without increasing your caloric intake. But by increasing your calories, you're smashing the protein. Yeah. You know, you can debate, are we getting too much? But the point is, we're certainly not protein deficient. We're not weak. Um, I mean, what's the primary function of protein? One of the primary functions for an endurance athlete is not necessarily to build muscle, to re repair cells. We're causing oxidation. We're putting our body under stress. We're damaging cells. It's part of the process, right? It's not bad. And it'll also help glycogen uptake a little bit correct, faster as well. Correct. So that's what the protein's there, and we're getting that. I think rather than um, worry too much about total protein intake, probably helpful to keep in mind for an athlete is to not just dump it all at dinner time. I have mm. a few people that tend to fall into that trap. It's about evenly distributing it over the day. Yeah. So including small amounts at each meal and snack. But if you're eating a well-balanced diet, that's happening by default. Yeah, that right? happens I mean, by default. Jaden, what's your thoughts on um, protein powders? Great question. Um, I... I don't really use them that yep. much. I'll use it more as an insurance policy on a day where I do a really big run. Um, I might have a smoothie. I, I, to be honest, I only use about half a serve to sweeten a smoothie because I like the taste of it. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I just probably like you guys, I would prefer to get it from food. Yeah. Um, protein powders can be very processed and you're sort of just stripping out one part of well, they're called protein and, isolates, aren't they? In, yeah, in, in and the you're missing so. all the beneficial things that you sort mm -hmm. of alluded to before with antioxidants and, and for me, fiber as well. Um, yeah. yeah. Sort of advocate to focus on fiber rather than protein. Um, I just think that when you stop isolating a, a nutrient and you consider the entire package that something's coming with, um, I would, yeah, it's, it's always a matter of compared to what. So if I'm choosing a protein shake over a meal, then... No, thanks. Like, not not quite. But, I mean, they, they have a place for people uh, in convenience. Mm. Like, if you have done a long run and all you have is a protein shake that you've got in the car, that's amazing. Cool. Absolutely, that's fine. Um, but it, it always depends on what your goals are as well. So, for me personally, if I have to, yeah. If I want a smoothie, yes. Um, but it's not, it's not a backbone of my diet. I think that's sensible. Um, another one of the myths that kind of needs to be tackled is that, you know, when you go vegan, you're going to have really weak bones, so you'll never be able to do long-distance races. Um, <laughs> so I know, like, if protein and calcium intake is adequate, um, we've got good studies suggesting that um, bone health between omnivores and plant-based individuals are quite comparable. Um, but there have been some examples in the literature showing that vegans and vegetarians actually have had poorer bone health outcomes if if the calcium and vitamin D aren't adequate. So I think a little bit of planning and a little bit of nutrition knowledge is um, essential. Um, but again, if you're following a pretty well-planned whole food plant-based diet, it will almost take care of itself. 
Do, do you think, Emma, some of that research is maybe confounded by the fact there are different reasons people choose this diet? Like if yeah, you're choosing this absolutely. diet for ethical reasons, you might not be aligned with the nutrition side of things yes, so much. Hence the difference between a vegan it. diet and a whole food plant-based. I think that's key yeah. too. Yeah, so and that, w- that that will always kind of murky the research a little bit. And it will also differ depending on where the research is conducted. So the UK, for example, they don't tend to um, fortify their foods as much, whereas in America, um, a lot of the plant-based um, foods there will be supplemented with calcium and you know vitamin D and all of those kinds of things. So there are a lot of things to take into consideration when you are unpacking these studies. Um, but yeah, when push comes to shove, people need to still be aware of Mm. getting enough calcium and enough vitamin D. And, of course, all the other things like your um, vitamin K and vitamin A and your B vitamins yeah. and vitamin C, like that all contributes to healthy bones, which you'll be getting in spades on a whole food plant-based diet, which is good. Um, the vitamin D, though, probably is something that we could talk about a little bit. I know, Ben, you're, you've got a thing about vitamin D. Um, oh, I, just I, wanted to add, I just wanted to add to the calcium because you say, you know, in, in the UK they don't fortify um Foods with with some uh, do, with some calcium, do. but you know, interestingly, because according to the the World Health Organization, our RDI for for calcium is about a thousand milligrams for average person, um, woman a little bit higher um, in some cases, but NHS recommends seven hundred. Seven hundred, so it's, it's yeah. less. And there is a paper I have come across um, that did specific uh, looked at the, the the specific calcium requirements for athletes, and the outcome mm-hmm. was that there is no need. Well, there's no, the athletes do not have an increased need. need. Yeah. So, yeah. again, you know, we don't need to think, oh, I'm an athlete, I need more. No, just eat, you know, be conscious Adequate of what you're meals. eating. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and hit your, your, the target that we should all be hitting anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, but vitamin D, mm. especially for Jaden being in lockdown over winter. <laughs> and he looks like he's in a very time. dark room as well. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. I don't know the New Zealand stats for this, but in um, Australia, basically, if you're living from Brisbane and above because of the latitude that you're at, you'll only need a few minutes year round, um, sun exposure I'm talking about here, sorry, um, to get adequate vitamin D. In summer for the um, lower latitudes, it's similar. You'll only need a few minutes, but in winter, you'd probably need about two to three hours per week broken up in shorter doses obviously i don't want you going out and sizzling for three hours um just because the uv index is a lot lower um so that's general guideline for the australian population and again i'm sorry i don't know new zealand no i'll give i'll give you some some and actually um Jaden's kind of the same as us in auckland so like you say brisbane it's 27.5 degrees latitude so that's that zero to 30 uh, degree um uh, sydney's at 33.9 auckland 36.9 melbourne 37.8 Wellington's yeah. obviously lower crust and so on. So we're at that 40 degree latitude or between 30 and 40. Um, and that is, well, they're saying sun's rays at an angle. So no vitamin D is produced between May to August. Yeah. So then you'd need more sun exposure. So yeah. the two to three hours probably. Yeah. And of course, that's just for like the general population. If you have darker skin, you'd obviously need a little bit more. Yes. 100% that's me <laughs> I do find a difference there so yeah 100% um, or eat your mushrooms that's a that's a good source of uh, after you pop them out in the sun correct yeah correct um, anything to add there Jaden being down in the cold country <laughs> um, well this year yeah I've been inside for a yeah. amount of months now um, I, I take a omega-3 a EPA DHA supplement um, that also is, has vitamin D with it yep. so um yeah, it kind of takes care of if there's a week. It's not common for me because I'm always running outside, but it's nice to have that. Um, like my my protein shake, I guess sometimes is an insurance <laughs> policy, just in case. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. will say that I do I do supplement with uh, vitamin D through the winter. Um, it's something that took me many years until a chiropractor years ago suggested it because my energy levels every winter was really low. And coming from South Africa. Durban's the same latitude as Brisbane, so it's used to a lot of sun. And the problem here is even in winter, there might be sun, but I hate the cold. So I'm really min- minimizing the exposure to sun. So ever since the last three years now, I think, supplementing with vitamin D, 
in the winter, I've actually noticed the difference. So, but I know there's research to come and I'm holding out for it. Um, and I think we're going to have a guest on at some point that hopefully we'll talk to it Eventually. as well. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it's something I'm really curious on. On I don't really talk to too much about it because I don't know much about it. Um, and research has been pretty, pretty slim. But yeah, I, I certainly have a particular interest in it as well. And I currently take the supplementation and for me it works. So whether it's placebo effect or not, it's doing the trick. So, yeah. 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 But, yeah, it's, it's pretty easy to just to sum up on the bone health. It's easy to mm. get um, your calcium as long as you're, you know, planning it. So I usually suggest about five to six serves of calcium-rich plant foods a day. And if you space that over your meals, that's really easy to do. Um, and then just ensuring you are getting adequate sunshine or potentially considering a supplement mm. if you're not. And make sure you get the vegan one so it's not coming from lamb, yeah. which is sheep's wool. Yes. Uh, it's the calciferol that you want. So online, easy to find, super cheap as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So we might talk now um, some personal examples potentially about how you guys fuel yourself for your training days and your race days. Where should we, we must... start? Yeah. <laughs> what do you have for breakfast, Jaden? <laughs> well, this this is interesting and I wonder if you're going to be the same, Dan. I, mm. in the morning, I, no matter what I try to eat, I can't eat before I run because I'll get a stitch. So right. I often run fasted, which that's not because I, I want to. Mm. Um, I would prefer not to, but um, I generally run fasted. And in terms of what I eat during the run, I, I'm pretty happy with gels within the first two hours. So I'll take a, those little carbohydrate gels roughly 45 minutes into the run and then about 90 minutes ish but then after that i tend to start to feel like some some more food so i always have some dates in my trail vest some medjool dates with me on on hand but um yeah i mean if, if i could i would have a, a bowl of oats or some <laughs> Ben's holding, some holding dates up some dates yeah in the camera <laughs> Um, yeah, they're a, they're an absolute staple. They are. <laughs> yeah, I would I would like to be able to have something, a slice of bread with a little bit of peanut butter on it or something. But um, yeah, I'm I'm still trying to figure that one out for myself as to what a pre-run nutrition looks like. But yeah, generally speaking, gels and then some dates. And more recently, in lockdown, with things being closed, I ran out of them, and I've just been using bread. Took some slices of frozen bread. They defrosted in my trail vest, and and they've been doing the trick more recently. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, whatever works, right? Like with your endurance events, um, I think the main goal is to maintain hydration and muscle fuel. So you want to start replacing your carbs about sixty to ninety minutes into your event. Um, and Ben, you might differ on opinion here, but it's usually between thirty to sixty grams of carbs per hour. Maybe a little bit more if you're doing like those ultra endurance kind of events. Um, so yeah, bread works. I mean, a thick jam sandwich would be about 50 grams of carbs. So you'd be covering your bases pretty easily there. Yeah, of course. What, what about you, Ben? Well, I've, uh, put a lot more, I guess, thought into it, but I've, I've, I've been sort of trialing it for a longer time. Breakfast will depend, um, on two factors. One, if I'm heading straight out the door or if I am driving, say it's an event, where you've got to get up at stupid o'clock, 3 a.m., I'm not in no mood to eat anything, or, you know, waking up at a normal hour, but we're driving an hour and a half to the mountains or the bush to go do a group run. So depending on that, if I can, I will have porridge before I leave home um, because I find that it's it's very satiating. So I can, the first hour and a half, even up to two hours in the run, I'm not hungry because it's, it's keeping me well full, well content, no stitch. Oats work really, really well. So... You know, that, that works really well with me. And when I make my porridge, I call it my breakfast of champions. I'm putting turmeric in, which we know is super anti-inflammatory. Um, I will have berries in there, you know, the anthocyanin, um, super powerful antioxidant. Um, I'll leave out some ingredients because those I'll have during the run. But, yeah, I'll try and have porridge. Uh, before I raced, like the ultra two weeks ago, I had to be up at 3. Um, en route at 4. We started at 530 um, I have taken a liking to, it's a company called Radex Nutrition. They do freeze-dried meals. They've got a plant-based range. And I just find that that works the best. I just add hot water. I don't have to mess about with cooking. I eat it in the car. 
and I'm not running for the bush. You know, it's it's not upsetting my stomach. It sits well and it fuels me. So that's something that I figured has worked well. Um, if I'm heading straight out the door, a banana. I'll have a banana so I'm not leaving in a fasted state because I was, I'm going to be eating my arm off 15 minutes into the run. Um, but yeah, so it does vary. And, and, and like you've said, Jay, you know, everyone needs to figure it out for themselves. There's different reasons why you might have gastric uh, or, you know, GI distress. Um, and you've got to experiment a lot with different foods. What I eat during um, this year, I go in years. I think my first year doing my first big ultra, I was a big fan of wraps, whole wheat um, wraps. Uh, with um, I had spinach in there because, you know, I thought, why not feed me some nitrates during the run? <laughs> uh, banana, peanut butter, that kind of stuff. Um but then you do an ultra, and when you're eating a lot of the same stuff for 12 hours, you kind of get sick of it. So this year I've gone the most, the simpler route, um, and it's actually been quite fascinating when I've compared the calories, the energy, the carbs. I mean, those are really the three key things. Um, sorry, energy, calories, same thing, but the calories and, and the carbs in comparison. So potatoes and dates have become my staple uh, with a bit of peanut butter sometimes because it's a it's – boost the protein but also boost the calories if i'm not eating enough so uh picks peanut butter it's a brand i love because they make those sachets it's like a, a like a goo sachet and you got peanut butter so you can rip the top and you can spread it on top of potatoes um but potatoes are easy on the gut slow release so that works really well and i start hitting those already you know as soon as i start eating i eat those dates great ratio glucose to fructose one to one um great so it's, it's a natural sugar uh you know so it's so really sweet but you know, constantly nibbling at those, those work. Um, now, in an event, the key thing is whatever you plan you're going to eat with, you'll never stick to it because you'll get to a point that you just get sick of it, right? It's just, you've got to have variety. And the more variety you have and make sure not everything is super dry, um, you can eat it for longer because otherwise you just get sick of it. Um, now, usually at the end, the sort of pointy end of a long run, only in events, never in training. Um, I've had enough of solids, and I would typically hit the goose, so your carbohydrate gels. Now, Jade and I alluded you to this, so and I know you're, you're going to this pack. <laughs> yeah, because um, I want more sustaining foods at the start um, because, you know, I'm not smashing it. I want to keep going. Um, by the end of it, it's it's get me over the line. I'll, I'll drink Coke in the last couple of hours. I don't care. Just get me the sugar and just get me over the line. But the, right. the ill effects of having super concentrated sugars and getting stomach cramps and whatever, I don't want that risk at the beginning. But at the end, by the time I'm going to get that, I'll be over the line, so I don't care. You know, So I do that at the end because um, it's just easier to just put sugar in you as opposed to potatoes. You've got to chew them or bread or whatever, and, and you know, you've got more, you're more in the mood for that at the beginning. Um, so goose is what I usually have, and I still think that they or any sort of carbohydrates, gels, They've still, I still find they've got a place, but here's the thing. The natural confectionery company um, that make a whole bunch of lollies. We're not affiliated with this company. <laughs> no, we're not. Non-spawn. We're no. <laughs> Hashtag non-spawn. But they've uh, brought out a vegan range, and one of my athletes sort of uh, sent me an image. It's like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, yeah, whatever, lollies, not good for you. But anyway, bought a pack, and I looked at the, the, the sort of nutritional sort of breakdown. And what I found was, it's effectively made the same thing. Your your carbohydrate gels and the lollies effectively the same thing, right? Same ingredients, just about. Um, so six or seven of the lollies of these natural confectionery company vegan lollies has effectively got the exact same nutritional profile as a goo gel, exactly the same, right? I've got I've got the diagram in front of me. I've done a little spreadsheet. Pretty much bang on. Same calories. Okay, one's 107. The lollies versus 90, 100. Um, carbs, 25 versus 23 grams. So it's the same thing. One gel costs you, what, four bucks in New Zealand? A packet of the lollies costs, I think I got on special, was four bucks as well. But you get about five, six, seven servings out of it. So effectively seven gels out of one packet. So... And they, they go on special more often than goose do. Correct. Well, so. <laughs> Correct. Stock up. Now, obviously, if you're doing swim run events or you're doing events where, you, you know, you're stashing things in your pocket, well, lollies, yep, they're going to melt and you're going to have a mess in your pants. Sure. So there's still a place. But 
where you can dates for instance is an example that i use dates instead of gels you know it's natural food because the bonuses i'm getting some vitamin c in there i'm getting fiber in there i'm getting a little bit of natural protein like it's all minimal because i mean it's mainly sugar but i'm getting all the good stuff with the dates so why not opt for that again a pack of these dates that i'm holding up cinderella dates you get these at woolworth's countdown coles new world and again not affiliated with no hashtag non-spawn <laughs> that's about two bucks for this bag of dates um so go for natural foods it's just more beneficial versus wasting your money on something that's not as beneficial um and then the lollies are found well okay cost wise i'm saving money and i don't know i mean at the end of the day it's the same thing as the gel so get creative with foods um and find what works i haven't got it right i still think i need to introduce different foods different approaches but real food definitely definitely sits better in the stomach doesn't give you the, the the bad reactions that a lot of super concentrated um, carbohydrate gels and and um, you know uh, I don't know uh, shots that you know like um, cliff shots that they do and all that kind of stuff it's all the same thing and the mistake most people make is they don't drink enough fluid they've got the super concentrated glucose in their stomach and that's one of the causes of cramps as well so they're not hydrating enough so I definitely learned that during my, my yeah. first marathon uh, yeah. I was a little bit too friendly with the gels and didn't feel too good after it's the, the most common thing i ask an athlete what went wrong oh how many gels do you have this 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 okay how much did you chase each gel with water no it says it's got water or it's already it's like no no there's your mistake so yeah and that, i would also just add like familiarize yourself with these foods before race day so train with it a little bit so you never do something new on race day it's golden rule number one and for big events that are important to you doesn't have to be 100k it can be a 21k it can be a 10k but if that's an important race do your research usually a lot of these event companies will have on the website what brands they're having at the aid stations and if they don't, send them an email and they'll tell you, this is the brand of electrolytes we're going to have. This is the brand of the gels. This is the brand of the bars. Go and buy them. And um, a lot, some companies will maybe send you a sample pack. Others you might have to buy. But buy it, trial it. If it works, great. If not, be self-sufficient. And that's one of the other key things is train with what you, you're comfortable with and then race with what you trained with. Brilliant. So I'm interested now to know any particular challenges that you may have come across when you were personally transitioning. I definitely was not eating enough in the yep. beginning. Um, and I could feel that. There'd just be some days I'd get to 2 or 3 o'clock and it took me a little while to realise that this was before I was studying nutrition and a little bit more enlightened. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't choosing foods that were more calorie dense i think yeah. i was a little bit naive in, in choosing um a lot of salad heavy uh lentils and spinach and things like that without adding in um <laughs> a lot more brown rice and, and quinoa and sort of like fluffing out the meal with some some fats and things like that so i i wasn't really thinking about what i was replacing it with i was just replacing stuff yeah on the plate so thinking about how much i was eating and um i guess the quantity calorie density of the things i was eating yeah 100 percent. very very common um pitfall to fall into so yeah for anyone listening who hasn't made the switch yet you will need to increase your volume of food which mm. is awesome right we get to eat more yeah <laughs> i think um one of the other things to note and i know I, I don't think there was any adverse effects but it's important to note that when you think about plants and you, you read about um you know, the anecdotal evidence of, oh, I feel great, I recover better. And it's so easy to get excited about, oh, all these plants, okay, what, what's rich in antioxidants? What's super rich in anti-inflammatories? I'm going re- to eat a whole turmeric root every day because it's meant to be good for you. My message there is don't get too carried away with that kind of stuff because yep. inflammation, as much as we always talk inflammation being a bad thing, it's still an important component of what we term as adaptation right because the whole point with training it's loading your body it's stressing your body it is causing a little damage but it's the repair it's the recovery and if you don't have that you're not strengthening you're not getting stronger you're not getting better adapted to the load the pounding of the running or you know the hours on the bike or swimming or playing tennis or playing rugby the impacts of of. so you've got to have some inflammation so whilst we do want to eat good anti-inflammatory foods and full of antioxidants to 
and to help us recover in general, some of the inflammation is still important. So keep that balance. Let's not get too carried away with specific foods, superfoods, health foods. These are the foods you got to have. No, Jaden said this earlier, have a variety. Yep. And if you're having that variety, you'll get it all anyway. And it comes back to not majoring in the minors. So just concentrate yep, exactly. on the big picture, get the foundation yep. done. Yep. 100%. Um, so any other like key points that you guys want to talk about? I mean, apart from having a few staple foods that I, I really like and prefer yeah. to fuel with, um, <laughs> I love my quinoa. Yeah, I remember, I remember feeling so nervous the very first race I ever did where I was quote unquote plant based, um, just to see how things were going to go. I was a little bit nervous, um, but I loaded up on on quinoa, and I really kind of like the idea of this this athlete's bowl. So generally, if I'm going into a race to prepare. Like I said earlier, I don't really like to, to think about this from a super scientific point of view as sort of contrary to my studies as that may be. Um, I just like to adjust, adjust. I'm very visual with this, so adjusting what the ratios of things look like. So a larger volume of like my quinoa or brown rice with maybe a sort of lower ratio of, of protein and, and throwing in a lot of veggies on top. And then when it comes to something post-race then i can sort of readjust what that looks like on, on the plate or on the bowl to have maybe a little bit more protein and heaps of colored vegetables and i think that concept works really well for me because it's That's not brilliant. something you have to overthink and, and weigh yeah. and sort of fuss about with um so yeah quinoa brown rice for me i love my pomegranate seeds as well <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as ben enlightened me earlier in the week maybe i'll, I'll get onto these natural confectionery things for the next <laughs> long run <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that's really important not to make it too difficult. Like I know we've talked a little bit to specifics here today, but the take-home message is it can be really quite simple. So don't get too bogged down in the details. Um, and it is just about adjusting ratios. So using that visual cue, perfect. What um, about you, Ben? Yeah, oh, look, t two things. I mean, one, you know, if I think of my favourite food, um, you know, obviously related to I've travelled there, I've competed there, but Mexican. Um and, and the basis of Mexican, you know, if you look at, if you actually travel the world and you sample a lot of the natural cuisines, the real hereditary stuff, it's all plant-based. And the basis of Mexican, black beans, beans corn, yeah, it's it's just, it's, it's my favorites. And it's so easy, you know, to make any meal with those key ingredients, spice it up a little, um, have a little avocado on the side, that's fine. But, you know, you don't need all... The rubbish <laughs> alongside with it but one of my fa my favorite meal of the day 100 it has been my whole life has been oats having porridge um and i was so stoked when this year um a paper came out and it looked i'll say this wrong so emma please correct me but avananthramide um which is a compound found exclusively in oats um has been found to um they did a uh they did no i'm going to be reading in the oh no it was it was double blinded uh randomized control study um where they took uh, it was downhill runners so really the centric sort of load the real load on the body and they found that with if they supplement with this compound it mitigated muscle damage as revealed by low plasma um ck levels um Besides general benefits of oat consumption derived from various antioxidant and antihypoglycemic ingredients, long-term dietary supplementation may provide specific protection against detrimental impact of damaging muscular exertion. And I love that. So oats, eat your oats, have them for breakfast, have breakfast in the afternoon if that's when you're getting back <laughs> home. Um, make make snacks like little OTs or whatever, you know, super easy. You don't have to get too creative, mash up some bananas and mix it with oats and put it in the oven and pack those in your pocket as as a snack. That is something else I take. So oats are brilliant. Um, it's amazing the power of plants. So I, yeah. I think oats are a really, really good place to start for a lot of people if they're mm. interested in, in transitioning because no matter what, even if I finish a race and I'm excited to go out for brunch, I'll always be more excited to go home and make a bowl of oats. Yeah. Because yeah. You can put everything in there. You can experiment, yeah. and, it, and it's the kind of thing where if, you, if you're coming from having dairy milk to using soy milk, almond milk, oat milk with oats, whatever it is, mm. there's hardly any difference in the texture. And mm. adding things in like a bit of maple syrup and 
blueberries, turmeric, like you said, even like sunflower seeds, pepitas, getting these micronutrients from things like sprinkling cinnamon on top. And you mm -hmm. can really build out an incredible like whole foods meal from that. So yeah. if people are curious, I always sort of say maybe maybe start with breakfast because it's, it's easy to build up your confidence Perfect. and sort of leverage from there. Yeah. And, and and the other thing I like about using breakfast as as the first meal to work on is it also enforces the the importance of having breakfast, um, you know, and that's also key. So if you're starting the day, because oats also have, you know, when athletes talk about magnesium, magnesium is a very important mineral. Oats have an incredible amount of magnesium as well. So you know you can get so much with your protein, your magnesium, your calcium, all all the the minerals that people are a little bit concerned about you can already hit your targets or close to just by starting the day right. That's what we call starting the day right. You know, you, you're getting, you know, I add a big, I, I changed my recipe from, I called it a tablespoon. I probably put three tablespoons of peanut butter in. So there's the protein. Yes. Um, I put cacao nibs in there. Cacao nibs, great source of iron as well. Um, and, you know, it's, it's you're getting so much. And yeah, breakfast, couldn't agree more. It's the way to start the day. I might go make myself another bowl of oats. One tip. <laughs> To my listeners, soak your oats the night before. And if you soak them, you've got opportunities. You don't even need to cook the oats the next day. So you can cook them in a bowl of porridge. You can chuck them in the blender and have your smoothie, or you can turn it into a bircher. You know, put in some fruit and let it set overnight. So soak your oats, improves digestibility, slows the or shortens the cooking time, just so much nicer. So there's my but tip. But if you don't want to, you don't have to. I'm too lazy. Yeah, I, I don't. Say, that's, that. that's new to me. <laughs> Soak them for an hour. Soak them for an hour in the morning. It no, makes I a just difference. Whack them in the microwave. <laughs> and them that. It's yeah. all good. Three minutes. Two minutes. I'm done. Oh, yeah. oh dear! Oh dear! Oh dear! We're no. plebs over here, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Brilliant. Well, I think that's been a really um, helpful chat to anyone that's mm. probably interested in this we've covered a lot of ground here so thank you boys so much for giving your personal insights um Pleasure. any any final tips before we round out this conversation um give it a go yeah <laughs> <laughs> give it a go um have a chat with people on instagram about this as well if they want to reach out for more sort of tips and tricks and I'm always sort of trying to share what what I come across at university with research and things like that so yeah I, I love having these conversations and helping get the word out with platforms like this so Brilliant. yeah and before you jump in Ben I just want to say to our listeners make sure you do check out Jaden's Instagram because it's really really good um the posts that you put up are always evidence-based well researched I'm very impressed so <laughs> um you. what's what's your handle where can people find you it's just my name. So Jaden, J-A-Y-D-E-N underscore Ordner, O-R-D-N-E-R. Brilliant. Well, we'll definitely link to that in our uh, yeah. when we post about this ep episode. Look, I'm going to finish off exactly like I started. You know, what we've tried to provide is, um, and it's what I always say in my presentations, we're trying to, uh, we try to stimulate people, get them to think. Um, there is no one answer. The idea is, 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 is don't get so caught up in one particular concept when there's just so much available. You've got a trial, you've got experiment, you might have it all right in training, but you don't race often. You know, you might only do an ultra once a year. So that's your one big chance to trial something. So it might take you a few years to get it right. Um, but on the basis of it, you'll notice that as soon as you get your nutrition right, you'll have more energy, you'll want to head out and exercise, whether it's, you know, an hour a day or six, seven hours if you're silly like us. Um, but definitely experiment, definitely trial, um, and keep it broad. And uh, the power plants will show you the real benefits. So Brilliant. there we go. Well, thank you both. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Lentil Intervention Podcast. If you found this interesting, make sure you subscribe and share it with your friends. 